Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the School of Nursing podcast. Uh, We are coming back for episode number eight. Um, And as in the past, my name is Lisa. I will be your host today. I am a registered nurse and nursing instructor. Um, And I have a wonderful guest with me today named Kelly, uh, who has uh, a ton. It looks like almost a decade worth of STARS nursing experience. Um, So I will let Kelly introduce herself and uh, what that role looked like. Um, and a little bit of her backstory into her career. So thank you so much for joining me today, Kelly. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Kelly Holtz. Um, I've been a registered nurse since 2007. Uh, my nursing career started um, very young. Uh, I think I was 19 when I graduated from the LPN program in 1998. And shortly after that, um, in 2001, I started working in the emergency room in Red Deer as an LPN. At that time, um, they required any LPN that worked in the, the ER to have their registered orthopedic technician course. Mm-hmm. So I signed up and took that course and became a registered orthopedic technician in the ER and very quickly realized that I loved emergency nursing and that I wanted to advance uh, into that and doing that you needed to be an RN. So at that time I was continued working full-time in the ER as an ortho tech um, LPN. And I did my degree online and became a registered nurse in 2007. And then I did my final preceptorship on labor and delivery, which was like a love of mine that I always um, wanted to explore. So I got uh, my feet wet as an RN in labor and delivery, as well as I continued working in the ER and uh, then I also worked in the ICU in Red Deer for a little while as well. And then shortly after that, I was hired, um, luckily, for STARS. Um, I was very lucky to be able to get in. Um, I guess I was kind of um, an immature RN. However, I had a lot of background from like being an LPN and working in the emergency room um, as an LPN and an ortho tech and then getting my, you know, feet wet in the ICU. So it was kind of atypical for me to be hired, but I think with my broad background in all my areas that I had been working, like rural, I did some surgery as well. Actually, after I graduated from my LPN, I worked um, on uh, Unit 21 in Red Deer and then uh, Lacombe, which was a rural. And um, so, yeah, I had like a really broad resume and I guess that made it look good. And uh, I was lucky enough to get on board because uh, essentially um, nowadays, and I think even at the time you are required to have, you know, five years of critical care to be recognized for STARS. Are you Red Deer College alumni? Is that where you graduated from? No, I'm um, Athabasca University. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, right. You said you did online. Right. Okay. Yeah. So back in the olden days, um, when I did my LPN program, it was like a, a Bow Valley College at the Red Deer College, and it was a one-year program, like 12 full months. So we basically, it was like an accelerated program. Okay. Man, yeah, what a, so what a that career time, you've had. <laughs> I know. I, I When I tell people, like they're like, oh, where do you work? Where did you used to work? And I'm like, well, how, how long do you have? <laughs> <laughs> I've worked in so many. And I don't know. I think that's just my personality. Like, I just, yeah. I don't. 
I don't like the redundancy of anything like yeah. at all. So I think that's why I'm always like finding myself back in the ER. Yeah. Because nothing's ever the same there. And same with when I was working at Stars, like no day was ever the same. Yeah. So what what um what made you want to pursue Stars nursing? Like other than that lack of redundancy, was there something about the job that really drew you there? Well, I I tell the story of this one day I was working in the ER as an ortho tech and I was like, I think I was like 22, maybe I was just a baby nurse and uh, I was working as an ortho tech and we had this um, trauma come in and I was asked to come in to the trauma room because this patient had like significant orthopedic trauma. So I remember like his leg was um, quite severely injured. It was basically, he ended up losing his leg um and his arm was broken and so i had to do quite a bit of orthopedic intervention with him and then um stars came in and i was like okay what's that who are those people that's really cool they have suits and they're like awesome and and then they flew away in this red helicopter and i'm like okay i said to somebody how do i do that i want to do that and they said well you have to be in our end to do that kelly and i was like okay done so yeah, like, and then things really happened after that, because I've met so many people in my life, and working where I work and just chatting with people, paramedics, whoever, like anybody that I've chatted with that, that you know, finds out that I used to work for stars. Well, I've always wanted to work for stars. And I just can't imagine not having that, having had had that opportunity. Like I, that was really a goal of mine. It was really something that I was like drawn to. And I made it like a a goal of mine to become that and I always tell the story of how I <laughs> I think they just got sick of seeing my resume and they finally just said fine just hire her because <laughs> I just applied for every single position that came up and so yeah Oh man, that is, yeah. Do you know, it's funny you say that because um, I work on a medical unit in Red Deer um, as well as my, as instructing nursing. And I remember stars showed up there one day to get uh, one of our patients. And I remember thinking, how do I get a jumpsuit? Cause those are the <laughs> coolest things. Like they're, they're like those yeah. kind of one piece, like flight suits, but like they had the stars yeah. logo on them. They had like, they mm-hmm. were by far up to, up to the coolness factor like a hundred percent it was hilarious Absolutely. i remember I thinking yeah can i get a jumpsuit can i just have a jumpsuit even though i don't do this job <laughs> i was like no you have to earn that jumpsuit you know like <laughs> yeah. yeah that's awesome so how long did you work with stars overall i see here was it roughly a decade yeah so it was like six months short of 10 years okay yeah so, um, so I don't know, can you go into a few logistics about your job? So what were the shift patterns like? Um, like, I know that I think that our closest star site is close to Edmonton. Is that correct? Yeah. So there's, um, we've expanded, like stars has expanded quite significantly over the, um, I don't know, probably the last seven years. Um, it used to be inaugurally, it was, um, Calgary that was the first base and then Edmonton and then Grand Prairie around 2000 and I believe 2005 is when they opened their base and then um, Winnipeg and then two bases in Saskatchewan Saskatoon and Regina so there's quite a few bases now 
but locally Edmonton and Calgary are the closest ones. So is it when you are applying for a job, is it, I guess, other than being willing to commute to the, to the site, is it the type of thing where people normally move to do a job like this? Yeah, um, mostly that's kind of like the hope of the base, but now they, they have kind of opened up um, positions over the last couple of years where they have like um, pool, pool nurses and pool medics. So they'll kind of like get hired, but then they'll just kind of be shuffled around to where they need, they're needed at the time. Um, when I when I got hired, um, my home base was Grand Prairie. My husband and I had just got married, and so we we had no ties to anywhere at the time. So we moved to Grand Prairie in 2008 when I was hired, and we lived there for about a year. And then we became pregnant with our first baby, and we didn't really like as much as we had our Stars family there. We didn't have any of our other family there. And Grand Prairie is like six hour drive. So we really felt like we needed to come home and, you know, have our baby. And so we settled back in and had our baby. And then quite shortly after we had our baby, we had our other, a second baby. So um, it was um, kind of a short mat leave because I went back to work early. And then I came off again and had our second baby. So um, I commuted for eight years from Prairie, um, but I wasn't on maternity leave. So it was, uh, it was a huge commitment. Um, and it was a, yeah, I, uh, that's essentially what, um, ended, you know, what ended my career there is I had to resign because I just couldn't, I, uh, you know, my hope, my, always my hope once I had moved back, um, to, from Grand Prairie is that, um, I would get a position in Edmonton or Calgary but it just didn't happen. Like, it's just really not an easy transition um, or like there's not a lot of openings. Like people get their jobs at stars and they don't generally leave until they retire. So mm. it's a pretty cool job. And, um, you know, so it was just, ne- it was just never happened for me to get a job in anything closer. So the decision for me was really hard to leave stars, but um, it was the best thing I could have done for my family so Mm. I was starting to miss out on things and um you know we actually had a third baby so it was just it was just a lot and the educational requirements um and the um commitment to stars is you know it's if you're working there you're you're highly trained and that that includes a lot of training in-house and stuff like that so yeah. Yeah. So what was your, so when you talk about just kind of the, the commitment, what was your shift pattern like? Like, did you work eights or twelves or, you know, was it yeah, kind of so, like, like a day night rotation? Mm-hmm. In Grand Prairie, um, you know, all the bases were a little bit different. I think that they've maybe uh, made them the same now. I think they were trying to like make them all kind of like the same, but in Grand Prairie, it was 12, hour, uh, 12, 13-hour no, 11 hour days and 13 hour nights. Okay. So you would come in and work 11 hour day shift and you were at the base, um, like all day. So you come in for your shift and you stay at, you can't leave. Yeah. You carry a radio, you're on the ship. So, but our, um, our base has like a kitchen, a living room, a gym. Um, we each had a bedroom for sleeping or rest. And then there's like an education room, a sim room, 
um, our hangar was, you know, had our helicopter in it mm -hmm. and then all of our um, offices and stuff like that. So when you came on shift, you essentially were there for the day or you were there for the night and um, exclusively okay. depending on your days or night shift. Yeah. Okay. So you talked yeah. a little bit, uh, you just touched a little bit upon uh, a little bit on the extensive amounts of training that you guys have um, when you apply for a position like this. So, this is something I really want to ask you about because my students often ask me about this and I always have to tell them that I don't know. Um, <clears throat> I don't know what the training is like to be a STARS nurse, um, but I have heard. So first of all, I'll preface this by saying I have heard stories about the STARS training and most of it mimics some sort of military environment in terms of. Uh, yeah, I know. And I'm like, in terms of like pushing your mental capacity and your emotional capacity and your physical capacity to the limit in order for you to perform in such a highly stressful situation. So that is generally um, what I hear from people that discuss this. And, and I always laugh because I'm like, you know, I don't think it's the type of thing where like, they make them lay in, in the water freezing cold while they're doing push-ups. And, you know, like that's kind of what comes to mind no. um, is this like military environment, you know, where they're like blowing the horn at 3 a.m. every night to get you up and whatnot. <laughs> okay. Well, so, I certainly didn't uh, experience those sorts of things. However, like military does fall into the storyline on some level because all of our pilots are military. So there is actually a lot of their um, training is, I guess, on some sort of like, it's not a boot camp mm -hmm. by any means, but like anything that you're learning is very regimented. It's very serious. It's very like um, methodical because that's kind of how you need to be because anytime you're in a stressful situation, you need to have some sort of um ability to come back to like your own mind and be able to perform mm -hmm. because in our situations um i know you ask a question um kind of in in the questions that you sent me you'd ask me um what is it what was challenging about your role and i i always say it's being a nurse was the easy part i know how to be a nurse I knew how to perform as a nurse and start IVs and give medications and provide comfort and all those things. But doing it in a ditch, doing it in a smoldering vehicle, doing it in a noisy helicopter, doing it underneath the blades of a helicopter is what really is what you're really training for. Well, and I guess like when you talk about having to come back to your own mind, really what your training is doing essentially then is building neural pathways so that when you get into a highly stressful situation that your brain and body already know exactly what you're supposed to be doing, even if your emotions are feeling something different, right? That you mm -hmm. have that, that base level of how do I function in this setting? Um, you know, as, like I said, as stressful things are going on. So um, like yeah. I, I see here, like in our notes and whatnot that we have listed, you have quite a few things listed for training. So do you mind just touching on those things? Like what types of things are yeah. generally so, required? So I guess basically like when you're sending in your resume, what they would like scan for 
uh, is so they look for a uh, minimum of five years of critical care nursing. So um, some of the bases are a little bit different, I think, when they look for their nurses. Some of them really, like, really look for ICU nurses. Some of them look for emergency nurses. And I think that's just like a personal preference because I... I typically feel like eMERGE nurses have like a little bit different thinking skills than ICU nurses. ICU nurses are really, really good with like medications and drips and, Mm -hmm. you know, maintaining um, ventilation and the vent settings and all that kind of stuff. And eMERGE nurses are good with like, you know, uh, quick on the ball, cut off the clothes, get get things started, put in an IO, put in some IVs, let's get ready for intubation, that kind of stuff. So Mm -hmm. I think obviously we all have our own skills, but some, some of the bases look I think find um, you know their interests more in like an emerge nurse or an ICU nurse. So um, five years of critical care nursing, and then um, ACLS, PALS, TNCC, not TNCC, sorry, ITLS. Um, there's a trauma nursing course, um, and not just your certification in those, but also an instructor's mm. um, role. So they really like don't want you to just have the course they want you to be able to like teach that course and know that really know the content yes yes yeah so um so those are some of the requirements that they look for um and then once you are hired then you are um put in the stars academy which is a 20-week um course that they offer to public paramedics nurses physicians that are from rural areas to be able to gain knowledge of um, critical care to provide to patients. So. so you're saying that any nurse, any RN, even if they don't plan on working in a STARS setting in like for rural nurses, they can take this, this 20 week STARS Academy course. Yeah, you can apply for it. Um, I don't like, it's something that I don't know how they choose the people, but they do have, like, you have to basically apply for it and then they choose you and then you actually have to pay to take it. What a it is, great opportunity, um, though. It, yes. So I was in the very, very, very first. It was the inaugural Stars Academy back in 2009, I guess it was when it started. And um, it was fantastic, like the best of the best education. And then I just continued to get all of that education while I was at Stars, and it was amazing. That's incredible. So are, I'm assuming like just because of best practice policies and things like that, um, do I'm, I'm assuming they update your education frequently while you're working as well. Oh, yeah. So you're required. So as an air medical crew, you're required to keep your education up. So every month there's a module that we would do. So it could be on like DK and PEDS. It could okay. be on um, trans, transit exomic acid and trauma it could be so there's always something that you're touching on whatever's in vogue something new um airway management in a burn victim um stuff like that so you're so you have a monthly module that you would do that for and then every every quarter you are required to attend uh m&m round which is like a doctor going over a case um, and then you talk about that and then he like kind of provides information on what, like how they manage that and how they could have made it better and such like that. And then you do a SIM day where you go and you do SIM. So you get put in scenarios where you, you know, it, they, they make up all sorts of scenarios. Mm-hmm. So you could go to like a rural area with a patient who is unconscious and they've intubated and stats are dropping and you have to try to like figure out all what's going on with the patient, so Sim. 
And then also you do these core courses. So you have five of them that you have to complete within two years. So there's like trauma, peds, uh, medical, um, safety and survival. So like if the aircraft goes down, you have to be able to know how to survive in, in the bush for three days or whatever. Like, so we do safety and survival. So we have to learn how to like build fires and build a, a like um, find water and like build a, a shelter and that, that kind of stuff. So we get to do that, which was a lot of fun. And um, also, uh, I can't remember what year they brought ventilators onto the aircraft, but we have to learn how to run a ventilator. And also then you do a full airway day as well. So we got to like do airway management. We have to crake and trach and intubate. And we got to use like animal lungs and that kind of stuff, which is really neat to be able to actually see what it looks like when you're ventilating something. And we would have to, what you're probably thinking of when you say boot camp is um, when we did airway day, they would make us run up like three flights of stairs and then like come and intubate. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess there was some aspect of military uh, training, but not, not to the points of like air horns in the night, but uh, yeah. <laughs> also you yeah. are a hundred percent the person I want around. If the zombie apocalypse does happen, let me tell you between your, between I'm your, gonna be yeah, your life-saving skills, your medical skills, your medical knowledge, and your just general survival skills. We're, we're going to Kelly's house, everyone. Yeah, yeah. I'll be in the cold room yeah. hiding. No kidding me. Uh, um, so I'm curious about the actual nurse's role um, on the team. So first of all, who like who is on your team um, and what is your role? Because I know it is a very advanced practice setting uh, that nurses work in. Um, so like I said, so I'm curious who is on your team and what is generally your role? Okay. So um, everybody, like every star's uh, shift, I guess, has two pilots. And it's usually, sometimes it can be two captains or a captain and a first officer. Uh, so there's always two pilots and very highly skilled and trained um, pilots, I always felt safe. And then a paramedic and a registered nurse, a flight nurse. So um, that's what our team consisted of. And, you know, they talk about how, like, you have this collaborative relationship, which you absolutely do. But, you know, when you're in a situation, uh, when you're busy with a patient and stuff like that, I think you kind of fall into your roles where, you know, the paramedic takes over the airway because they usually, that's where in the helicopter, their seat is usually a seat one, which is in above the patient's head, up at the head of the stretcher. And then the nurse would usually be at the patient's side, providing like, you know, analgesic or medications, um, vital signs, any sort of like things like that. So, you know, um, we're trained to do all of the, the jobs. Like I'm trained to um, do airway management. I'm trained to run the radio. I'm trained to do all that kind of stuff. But um, in a regular day on the helicopter, we all get into our seats and we kind of fall into our roles of like, I would normally start the IV and the paramedic would, you know, um, make sure that the, the radio, like we have a good landing zone and, and run the radios and manage the airway. And um, I would usually sit beside the patient. So, you know, there'd be some days it'd be like, hey, do you want to sit up in seat one? And I'll sit in your seat and we'll switch up roles and just to practice because there are situations where sometimes 
we would just end up in a different seat. But um, definitely, definitely, the nurse is usually sitting um, in seat three beside the patient, providing like analgesic or any medications, or switching out blood, or starting like a new line, maintaining um, vital signs and all that kind of stuff. So. So, so yeah, I hope that kind of answers your question. Yeah, absolutely it does. So I'm curious, like when you are um, going and getting the patient, so I'm just I'm just curious about um, the role of a physician when their role does come into play. So um, mm-hmm. when you arrive on the scene, in terms of nursing scope and what you are kind of allowed to do and not allowed to do, are you essentially just functioning as a first responder Um, like as that advanced nursing practice training. So, you know, I'm just thinking like, are there ever things that you can't do because we don't have a physician supervising or does your training cover, you know what I mean? Like, does your training cover all of that until you get to a site where there is a physician? Right. Yeah. So essentially um, we are always in contact with uh, a physician. So they used to be called REPs or, or TPs, like a transport physician. So usually um, when the call comes in, that transport physician is already like either in the in the loop of the call or we're calling them as we're leaving or we're calling them as we're getting to the patient. So it just, it typically depends on the call. However, as a nurse and paramedic, we are, we um, practice in full scope. And we practice in an advanced scope. So if we, you know, we're we're talking to our transport physician on the way out, it looks like this patient's going to need to be intubated. It looks like this patient's going to need blood. It looks like this patient's going to need TXA. It looks, we are absolutely 100% trained and in scope to be able to provide that um, based on our protocols. We have the protocols that we need to follow and paramedics are more trained in that kind of stuff because that's kind of how they they roll as it is. They're, they roll on protocols and they kind of, you know, they have a physician that they can call to kind of say, hey, we have this patient, we have this protocol to follow, but if it goes outside the protocol, they can call them and be like, oh, it looks like we're going to need to do this. That's kind of how it works at STARS too. But there's many, many situations where we don't have that physician with us physically we get to a rural hospital and we realize like, oh, this is not as advertised and we have to um, either, you know, we can intubate, we can do all those things, we can start blood, we can give all the medications that we need to give. Um, but sometimes the patient needs the chest tube or sometimes whatever. So we can um, we can actually perform those um, or we can help and guide and um, walk these rural physicians through those procedures. So we have to be trained in those procedures, like putting in a chest tube, craking somebody, traking somebody, putting in a central line, um, ultrasounding somebody, um, all those things we are trained to do and we're, we, it's in our scope to do. But if there's a physician present, then they usually take over those rules or they just are there with us to perform them. Oh man, that is so fascinating. Like this whole job is just so fascinating to me. How cool would that be to be able to put in a chest tube and like, oh yeah, that would just be so cool. So can you tell us a little bit about what a typical day uh, looks like for you as a STARS nurse? So when you would get there and you'd report for your shift, what would a typical day look like? Yeah, so we get 
to work. Um, you have to get all suited up just because there were oh so many times you would walk in the door and your tones would be going off already. So like, so you kind of come prepared to come a little bit early, make sure that you you've had something to eat and that you peed and uh, you kind of get all your, your gear on. And you know, some days it was like pretty chill. You just get all your stuff on, get upstairs. Uh, we always meet as a crew. So both the pilots, nurse and the paramedic um, have a little bit of a changeover with the night crew or the day crew, depending on what shift you're coming on to. Um, if there's anything like any meds that were about to expire, just basic stuff like, oh yeah, the helicopter's clean and ready to go. Looks like the rock in the bag is about to re- expire. Um, just little things like crossover stuff like that. And then we meet with our, our crew, um, the air medical crew and the pilots and, and we have like a staging room and, um, there's the pilots will do a weather check and just kind of tell us what's, what the weather's looking to be like it. You know, a lot of the times it'd be like, oh, weather looks good. We'll probably accept right away. Uh, one of the things that happens at stars is, um, when we get pre-alerted, we'll get tones through our radio and it's kind of a like, boop, boop, boop. That's a pre-pre-alert. We call it the PP alert because if you hear it, you better go take a pee or else, <laughs> you know, you might not get a chance. <laughs> so you get the pre-pre-alert. So it's like beep, beep, beep. And then, and then um, I think, I think it's maybe one minute later, 45 seconds later or something, you get another set of tones and then they say, uh, for example, Star 5, uh, you're on pre-alert for a scene call, 25 nautical miles southwest of Grand Prairie. So then, that, and then that's it. Sometimes, um, like, the nurse will carry the air medical crew phone. Sometimes the air, the um, link center will call us and say, hey, guys, it looks like you're going for this. But the pilots have no idea. The pilots have absolutely no idea what we're going for um, because sometimes that can give them um like a skewed make um have them make a skewed decision on on the weather or whatever so they make their decision whether we're going to launch based on solely on the safety of the weather so you know say that there was you know five kids that had just you know uh were seen in a river they'd be like well we got to go for this we want to go for that, obviously, but the, the, the decision for the safety of the air, um, air medical crew and the, the whole crew has to be based on just pure safety. So, um, yeah, so basically uh, we talk about the weather and so sometimes they would say, yeah, good, good, we're, we'll accept right away or else sometimes I'll be like, um, stand by for um, link center, stand by for weather check. So then they send by for a weather check and then they'll come back on and they'll be like, yeah, we're good to go for weather. And then they will send out our dispatch tones, which is like a nee, 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 nee. So it's star five, you're, you're dispatched for the scene call. So then we all, we're already kind of getting ready to go. And so we take out our, our we go into the locked cover, take out our narc. like a hunter that is down so we're going to need some extra extra equipment some warm fluids whatever like extra things so we kind of prepare for that and then yeah and then we launch and usually we get some updates along the way sometimes we don't sometimes the updates that we get are definitely not as advertised so wow and then if 
some days, you know, you go there and you don't get one free alert and you have a workout and you make a meal and you visit and you do education. And uh, it's, yeah. Oh my God. It's like a, it feels like almost like a sink or swim setting, right? Like where you're either running, 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 or you're not doing much, right? Like it could go both ways. Some days we would do up to three missions and it's a lot like, because then you come, you come back to the base and, you know, like the first thing you do is grab something to eat, have pee, um, and then you start charting. And sometimes you would get pulled away from that chart for another mission. Uh, we also restock the aircraft. That's like the first thing they do. They they fuel up the aircraft. Sometimes, you know, you go on a mission and uh, you're at the hospital dropping off a patient and you get pre-alerted for another call. So sometimes the pilots would rip back to the base to fuel up. And we would say, can you grab us? you know a bag of iv solution this and this and this and uh then they would bring that back to us and then we'd head on our next mission and yeah and then some days you would i'd be up there for um my shifts and i wouldn't get one single call so i guess i mean really i mean you're there for a reason but i guess it's a good thing if nobody needs stars like you know in the big picture it's (laughs) yes yes Oh my God. I love those little insights that you give. Like when you talk about the PP alert, so you pretty much have 45 seconds to go to the bathroom before you know if you're going to be head no, really like. (laughs) Yes. Because let me tell you, if you don't have the PP, if you don't do the PP alert, sometimes you find yourself peeing in a vomit bag on the way home from Edmonton. (laughs) (laughs) Where do things have happened, right? Uh, that has happened to me yeah so luckily I was flying with like my best friend who's uh she actually her and I were hired at the same time and she's still a paramedic for stars and grand prairie so (laughs) luckily it was just with her (laughs) oh my goodness hey you're just like avert your eyes avert your eyes just look away oh yeah (laughs) that's too funny we were laughing so hard yeah so I'm curious what types of patients do you see the most often like what types of injuries would you mm-hmm. see would you would you say that you get most frequently yeah you know, I can't think of one that is uh, like the other really uh, we did so many different things like we did like car crashes and uh, cardiac arrests and uh you know like people that needed to go to edmonton for like stents like an urgent stent or post-cardiac arrest or something or like i can't i can't say that it's like oh we're going for another whatever like in that area sometimes it was a lot of strokes you know stay inside that window for the stroke and they were in a little small town that you know takes three hours to drive but only you know 25 minutes to yeah. to fly so those kind of mostly like life-saving things like strokes or cardiac um lots of trauma yeah um i recently did a the an, an inaugural podcast for the start i don't know if you've listened to it but it's called mission ready <gasps> that's so exciting yeah so we actually did a um a flight for one of our pilots girlfriends at the time uh, she got a mauled by a cougar <gasps> And it was, yeah, uh, listening to the podcast, it was, it took me back, but there were so many details that I didn't know about, but um, yeah, it was really, really something that you don't get when you fly in Edmonton and Calgary so much, like yeah. Grand Prairie was always kind of, no, we were the, like, 
a little bit unique because we had oh so much of the north to cover and so many different like there's mountains and there's oil fields and there's um bush and you know a ski hill and so there was lots of different there was an array of things um, but i can't really pinpoint one you know that we would do a lot of wow do you see i'm curious do you see a lot of spinal cord injury um i i've seen a couple Mm -hmm. um one brings out in my mind because it was a it was kind of a lesson that i learned in my flying experience again being a nurse was the easy part the aeronautical aspects of it was really tough because i remember it was like one of my first missions without a buddy and i was flying with uh one of who um a medic that i actually flew ended up flying a lot of missions with we just had that it was always we always flew no matter how many shifts we worked together but date allison and i actually um went on to do a lot of uh mobile education with him we i don't know if you've ever seen the stars bus oh yeah but we would go yeah so that's a big educate that's a big sim lab and we would go out to all these rural places and do a lot of sim which i really loved the teaching aspect of it was great it was a good it was it's a great way for me to learn as well as teaching people i just learned so much more yeah and so anyways um him and I were flying out to this young guy. It was an, an MDC and it was a spinal cord injury. And I was so nauseated because of like flying. I ended up get like realizing that I have like major motion sickness. <laughs> so I had to learn how to fly properly because I, I got to that call and I couldn't even do anything. I was so sick. I couldn't, I couldn't throw up. I couldn't put my head up. I couldn't move. Like, I'm just like, I can't. Luckily, this guy was fairly stable, but he ended up being a spinal cord injury. Um, but like, I can't, I can't think of anything that sticks out in my mind as far as like a lot of those. Yeah, I was just curious because I can assume that you probably do attend like motor vehicle collisions and things like that as well. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't sure if that was mm-hmm. something that you that you saw a lot. Um, so no, we always use precautions and yes. anything like that, though, for sure. So how do you how do you fly properly? Like what does that mean? Oh. So what I realized is that when I we were going getting like going on the outbound trips so and when we were leaving the base and flying out towards um our scene or our facility or whatever, I would um do much better if I flew rear facing. So if I was sitting in this the seat back to back with the pilot rather than sitting sideways in seat three, which is the seat that you sit with when you're with your patient I just had to get myself kind of like orientated and um one of the pilots told me one time that motion sickness is a mental thing and I was like okay well if that's the case I'm going to totally like overcome this because this is not working for me and so I think on some level it is but I also think that there is some aspect of like inner ear stuff like that but um on really hot windy days I would totally just I would take Zofran and and gravel at the beginning I sh- just because I'm like if there's a chance that we're going to be flying I'm going to be ready to go so medicating and then also just sitting if I had time if we weren't like going for like a really close in scene call that we needed to like prep stuff for like prep our RSI meds and prep our our IVs and our that kind of stuff then I would just sit rear facing and just kind of get my wits about me and 
but I found that if we were going in for like really close in scene calls and I was like had my head down and I was prepping stuff like that the next thing you know I was like oh gosh this is not going to be good Man, but like like I said, I, I just I, think those little insights are so fascinating because it's something that unless you're actually doing the work, you don't, you would never think about, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, I had to overcome that and I worked sick a lot. <laughs> but <laughs> You must have really loved the job because you're like, I don't feel well, but I don't care. I'm going to do this anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> that's a awesome. lot of vomiting that happened i i was never one that was able to throw up but like lots of my partners and stuff like that would be able to just like puke and then get over and then just like get on with their life and i would just like sit there green and wanting to die but not able to like actually throw up and feel better <laughs> oh my goodness it's a slow form uh, of torture right <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so what are, oh, I'm just, I'm loving this conversation. Um, what are the best, what would you say are the best parts of STARS nursing? Well, I, there's so many things. Like, I absolutely loved my job. I loved caring for people. I loved the families. Um, we, we have this thing at STARS where if you've been a, we call you, if you've been flown by stars, you're a, it's called a VIP. It's a very important patient. And so you're as a VIP, you have the opportunity to meet your crew if you want. And sometimes it's years later, people come and they have the courage or they've um, been able to like overcome certain like traumas from their injuries or their, their accidents or whatever, to be able to come and meet the people that, you know, essentially help them, through their you know darkest day or help them save their life or help whatever so a lot of these people will come and uh meet you after so i think one of my most rewarding memories i have as a flight nurse uh with stars there was a lot um you get a lot of recognition i think people really look up to stars and the people that work for them we did a lot of um i did a lot of pr events where we would like fly into a golf course for a golf tournament of um you know that that uh, community was doing a golf tournament to raise money for stars so we would fly in and and they would get to come over and meet us and just just the the amount of like attention that you get and the questions and people really look up to you so that that right there is very like heartfelt um but one that sticks out in my mind and I might need a minute. <laughs> oh, that's okay. I can only imagine um, it's probably a very emotional job a lot of days. Yeah. So it's funny. Um, one of the paramedics that I flew with um, for the, or the paramedic that I flew with for my our um, mission, when we went to Marcy, she was the girl that got mauled. Um, he was the same paramedic that was on this mission and so I was um I can't remember if I was yes I was pregnant with my third baby and we flew to this very very small town in BC for a motor vehicle accident and it was a husband and wife and they um were with a group of people and they were on a little to like a summer tour with this their motorbikes and they got into this very severe accident and it turns out that when we got to the hospital she had 
passed and uh, the husband was still alive and they were in the same room. It was just such a small hospital yeah. and they were in the same room. And so my partner and I had to tell him that his wife had passed and it was, it was so heartbreaking. Um, one of the things I remember is they were both, we thought they were from BC at the time. We didn't know because we were in BC, but they were actually from Alberta and they were from the Grand Prairie area. And they were both wearing these, um, stars did this thing where they would sell this, it's called a red ring for life. And I don't know if, um, if it was like a monthly donation that you would give, or if it was like a one-time donation and then you would get this red ring, but you basically are like a lifetime donor. And both of these people had these rings on. So as I was holding this man's hand, I looked down and I could see this ring and I'm like, you know who we are because you support us. I can tell, I can see your ring. And he's, he said, yes. And he had such significant facial trauma that he couldn't speak at the time. So uh, we, you know, we flew him back to Grand Prairie and then we ended up flying him to Edmonton at some point. And while I was on, that was my last mission that I flew before I went off on mat leave with my, my third baby. And while I was on mat leave, I would get um, phone calls and an email from the base saying like, this gentleman really wants to meet you. He's, he keeps coming in here. He buys all this stuff. He buys hats and sweaters and jackets and, and he buys all this stuff, but he really wants to meet you. So he waited. Oh gosh. I think it was like, by the time I had gone off and come back, it was like 13 months to come or 15 months to come and meet me. And finally, when I came back from having my baby, he came to the base and brought his daughters and met me. Yeah, it was very emotional. I remember when I was flying him and I was putting, we had him in the helicopter and I was putting the leads on uh, for like the monitor and he had his daughter's names on, written across his chest. So I was talking to him about his daughters and stuff like that. And they actually came and they lost their mom. And it was just, oh, uh, that really, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget him and his family and, do you know that that must be a, a good amount of closure for you as well to see the patient afterwards, right? Instead of ending your interaction mm -hmm. as you're dropping them off in this really traumatic state, right? Yes. Like to be able to yes. follow up with them and then see their family and see that they are still, you know, I'm sure there's lots of struggle there, but see that they are healthy again and doing well and, you know, yeah. and things like that. That's that got to be, a lot. yeah, like that's got to be some good closure for you as well. Mm -hmm. It definitely does help mm -hmm. for sure. So what would you say, man, uh, like my heart is just, is, it just goes out to you guys. I have so much admiration for, for nurses that work in settings. And I mean, really for all nurses, cause I think it's just, it's a, it's a tough job. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and I just think that, like you said, that patient recognition is just, is so important. Um, so what would you say is the most challenging part of, of the job other than the motion sickness? <laughs> That was definitely a challenge for me. Um, I I don't know. I can't really answer that question as far mm -hmm. as challenging goes. Other than like, if you're not really up for being totally committed to, you know, co continuous education, continuous training, um, you know, that can be a challenge if, if you're, you know, 
not really, if you don't have the time or if you don't have the capacity, I think that would be a challenge. It wasn't for me. I absolutely adored and loved all the education. I, I miss it significantly. Um, but that that's definitely a challenge because I worked part-time there, but I was like, it was a full-time job yeah. keeping up with, with all of the things that you, you know, we were required of you. And because it's such an important role, you know, you have, you have to, um, there's going to be lots of requirements. So yeah. I think that was challenging. Um, certainly all of the, the, the things that you've, that you see and that you encounter and that you hear and that you, um, do those things are significant challenges, but because stars does the things they do as far as like mental health and critical incidents, um, like, um critical incident like care and stuff like that you you're very you're very lucky to be able to be part of that Mm -hmm. because um i know that mental health and ptsd and those sorts of things are just like finally coming to light and are recognized um and stars has always had that in their culture which is great so i think that if that wasn't there that would be very challenging yeah um So how did you, so coming off of those like really stressful shifts and the really traumatic events and whatnot, how did you take care of yourself in order to keep yourself healthy so that you could continue to do this job? Well, like I said, I think because STARS had such a great um, program for that, they knew uh, they had, the Link Center had basically has like boxes to check off what's gonna what would be a trigger for SISM so SISM is like a critical incident management team that would come out essentially like we would come back from like really nasty calls really tragic traumatic calls and people would be there like physically there like to meet you to debrief or they would yeah you would have a debrief and then you would have like a follow-up and then you would have another one three days later and stuff so uh, you don't really get a chance to like clam up, um, but there's there was so much um, help and yeah. caring and stuff. And like, there it's your family. It's like your stars is like a such a family, and uh, they're always there for you. So like, it wasn't just like that uh, critical incident moment. It was like, you know, a week later when you're on crew with that with one of the pilots how are you doing like that was yeah. like oh i heard you guys went on a really crappy call how are you guys doing this gives you the opportunity to oh i have like the best husband so he <laughs> over the years that we've been together and all the stuff that i've been through and stuff like he basically is could is medically trained <laughs> <laughs> he could probably hop he into that helicopter <laughs> Oh yeah. yeah. Or hop into the ER or hop or deliver a baby or all the things that I've done. <laughs> like I, he's one, one person that I can just like talk to. He's not squeamish. He doesn't have an opinion. He is just such a great listener. So there, oh, I, you know, I remember a couple when I was, uh, my, I think my middle son was like two and we went on a really awful, awful mission with a little two-year-old and I opened up the door to the back of the ambulance and this baby was wearing the same brand of diaper and just basically like the same size and stuff like that. 
and it was oh it was it was such a horrific call as it was and then you know this child did not do well and um it was it was a really really awful the whole situation like if the whole family was in the accident and they had lost another child and the mom and dad were like severely injured and they were all separated and I wrote um like months later I wrote that family a, lo- a letter and I needed to do that because it was like was, um, kind of healing for me as well but I remember crying so many times to my husband about that whole situation yeah like just needing to get it out and talk about it and like I needed reassurance and you know as a mother you being separated from your child you know that was like that had significant injuries and that essentially was dying I just you know wanted her to know that he was warm and that I held him like I just there I just needed to get things out as a mom knowing so anyway those those things I think my husband has helped me significantly and just like having healthy children and yeah and they think you know those things help me stay focused and stay strong and wow wow that's I yeah that's just incredible um so what I'm curious what advice would you give to students who are really thinking that they would like to pursue stars nursing one day oh well I think um it's a fantastic goal I think that um it's a fantastic career and anybody who wants that has that trauma junkie heart I think you should just go for it (laughs) get you know get in there and ever I think a lot of people think they need to like you know work work in like um certain areas to be able to get that job or they need to work somewhere for three years before they go work and emerge or whatever no get your get in there get your feet wet get get your courses get some exposure get some experience um you know listen to podcasts go do buddy shifts uh you know get get on board you can um i think i don't know what it's like right now because of the pandemic and everything like that but you used to be able to do ride along so you could go and spend a day there but i don't know what it's like right now oh that's so cool yeah so you can go and spend a day and uh you know go on a mission if they go on a mission you get to observe so that's really cool um and yeah, that just, is incredible. Uh, I would highly recommend that if I would highly recommend that if a student wants to do this job, to at least contact them and ask. Like the worst thing that they're gonna say is no. Yeah. But if for yeah, some reason like said, they will like let it, you do that, man, that would be magic. I think. Yeah, I I got to do it. I remember way before I was flying with them. So it's definitely something that you get a you, you get a really good idea of what it's like. You, you know, sometimes you go in and not get a mission so that kind of sucks but you still get to see the helicopter and meet the crew and yeah oh that is just incredible (laughs) incredible yeah well thank you so much kelly i think that's where we'll end for today um i am going to link in the podcast description a lot of the things that you talked about so i'll put links in there to like 
you know, the PALS course and ACLS and um, the International Trauma Life Support and things like that. Uh, just so that if students want <clears throat> to go through and look at what those qualifications are like, I can add that. I will also link the, um, you said the STARS bus. I'm sure there's a website for that as well that I could link in there. Yeah. And yeah, uh, the, the podcast. Has... Yeah. You mm -hmm. said stars.ca? Stars.ca. That's, okay. yeah. So that, that, that has all of the information on it for like careers. And then it'll tell you like their qualifications mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And then the podcast. Um, yes. The, yeah, it's called Mission Ready. They did Mission such Ready. a fantastic job. I am so excited yeah. to listen to this podcast. I am heading into work this afternoon, and I'm going to start it on the way there. <laughs> oh, oh, awesome! I love I'm like so uh, my husband and I. Are, we love podcasts so much, and yeah. so when they when they uh, called me to um, to be part of it, I was like, oh, what if it's like really uh, like crappy? And oh my gosh, they did such a fantastic job. Uh, like the way they like put the music to it and how they had oh they did such a great job I was so happy um for them and they're such a a great group oh, at stars awesome. like I I certainly miss being there but uh I'm so glad I got to be part of the family yeah, yeah. Well, thank you again. It was so nice to meet you and I appreciate it you taking nice to your time you to, to contribute to our nursing education. I think these are really yeah. valuable conversations to have. And yeah, so I thank you so much. And uh, yeah, until you, next Lisa. time. Yeah.